Kia ora. welcome to Under the Checkered Flag, MotoGP edition. I'm your host Kate, and we're just going to jump right in. Before I jump into pre- previewing, reviewing Sepang and previewing Qatar, one thing I do want to talk about is the news about Aprilia's clutch. So, Motorsport.com, who I will link below, have reported that Aprilia have introduced a clutch system that created quite a ripple in the racing scene. So, this system, which is... Basically, it worked as a semi-automatic clutch, which is much different from the standard clutch. So, it required less manual input, especially at the start, from the rider. And I'll be honest, I've not seen the design or anything technical, any photographs or anything like that. So I can't really comment on the technical side of things, but it's been banned by the FIM. And fortunately for Aprilia, they haven't been penalized because it seems to be part of a gray area in the rules. It's interesting to me, and I think this is what is the most interesting part for me, is that it's reported that the complainant was KTM. Now this is alleged. Again, I haven't seen any of the documentation, so please don't sue me, KTM. So it's reported that the complaint from another manufacturer, not saying it's KTM, but everyone else is saying that it's allegedly KTM. It, But the report was that the complaint led to the ban of the device. So I find it interesting, not only is Aprilia had their device banned, but also that KTM have voluntarily removed their own system. And that's basically from the Thai Grand Prix onwards. And so it makes me wonder what they themselves were running. And KTM have asked for a revision of the rules to allow them to use their device, we'll call it, moving forward. And... It's going to be a very interesting few weeks watching this play out, especially as we're coming up to the testing in Valencia. And it's just so curious to me. And I love that we see some inter-team bickering, I suppose. And what is also interesting in this is that Maverick Vinales wasn't supposed to talk about this. And when all the other Aprilia riders were questioned about it, they were told, we can't talk about that. And... Yeah, they've been sworn to secrecy. So I wonder how much trouble Maverick's getting in for accidentally letting this slip, this little insider secret, so to speak. It'll be really interesting to see if we do get some adjusted regulations. And it does frustrate me, this side of the sport, where they can sort of tailor the rules to suit the needs of a particular team or particular rider it's always something that kind of irritates me but what will be next it'll be interesting to see like I said if we do get those adjustments and it's interesting to see how it's impacting the competition because as I'll discuss in my review of the race I suppose Aprilia and KTM looked very different this week KTM didn't get their rocket ship launch Aprilia just seemed to have a terrible weekend And it's just another one of those things that showcases the dynamics between innovation, regulation, and the competitive sport that MotoGP is. 
and yeah it's one thing I'll keep my eye on and it's something I'll probably dive deep into over the winter break but for now let's get straight into Modo 3 at Sepang. Where do I even start with that Moto3 race? It was absolutely crazy and it changed the championship completely. We saw two separate incidents, I suppose, that took out world championship rivals. One of them, I suppose this is the lesser of the incidents because it was between the KTM IO teammates Rueda and Onshu and Rueda lost it a bit his bike was wobbling he clips Onshu and they both go down and oh my gosh could you imagine being in the IO garage one teammate taking out the other teammate not only does this take Dennis Onshu out of you know the point scoring the podium positions of this race it knocked him out of the championship fight and so you would be absolutely gutted for Dennis Onshu and I'm sure he's gutted and I get the very distinct feeling that Rueda is going to be getting some very very stern words today from I, Akiayo I think that's his name as we know I'm not the best with names but I'm pretty sure there's going to be some very stern words in that garage that's for sure that was only one of the incidents though. We did see another incident and this one was really quite scary. So David Alonso is in a pack and he high sides right at the front of this pack. He takes down with him, well, he doesn't take them down. Crashing into his bike and into him is Danny Holgado, Ricardo Rossi, Diego Moreira, and I think Futasaro was also there for Asato and I believe there may have been another rider tangled up in there but this incident was just so chaotic and so big and the fact that we had David Alonso and Danny Holgado and Denise Onchu crash out of this race these guys are three of the five title fighters and now it's pretty much only Masia and Sasaki and the championship is twisted and turned on its head. Fortunately, there are only 13 points between Sasaki and Masia, so we should still be seeing quite an um, exciting title fight, I suppose. The results from this weekend, for P5, we had David Munoz. In P4, Ivan Ortola. In P3, Jamie Masia. P2, Yuma Sasaki. And in P1, Sasaki's teammate Colin Vaya. So wonderful result for the Dutch rider. We got to see the Dutch anthem in Moto3 for the first time. Very Formula One vibes, that's for sure. I knew I'd heard the anthem somewhere before. Well, well done to him. Does raise a very interesting question though, because his teammate Sasaki is fighting in this championship. In that post-race interview, Sasaki admitted that he didn't expect Ma Vaya, sorry, to pass him. So you've got to admit there's going to be some bad blood in that garage today. Especially if we get to Valencia and Sasaki loses this by five points. Imagine your own teammate 
overtaking you. And I do believe that Via did the right thing because it's no fun watching team orders and I don't like team orders. I do think if I was Via, I would sit behind my teammate in this particular circumstance. But then again, I'd also really want my really fit really want my first win so it's a very hard conundrum i suppose and i guess i don't know what i'd do because i don't own my three bikes for a living so yeah it was just a very interesting little twist in the tale that plus all the crashes made this one of the most wild and chaotic moto three races that we've seen in a while wild and chaotic races Moto 2 came very close to that. While I'll admit it was sort of a little bit of a snorefest at the end of Moto 2, with the winner of the race winning it by 7 seconds, it was still provided enough entertainment. There was a really, really scary moment at turn 1. But before I jump into the race action, I want to talk about Moto to quality. Now we saw Eisen Guevara have a quite a nasty high side. He was taken to the medical center, but he was okay. It caused a red flag and it did this because the shot we saw initially was Tony Arbolino riding very slowly past Eisen, who was still in the middle of the track. You do see his leg move in that initial shot, but you could tell he looked badly injured and the doctor's signs are there and he ends up getting stretched away. Fortunately, he is fit, but it was a very scary few minutes, I think, for everyone involved. Like I say, fortunately, he's okay. That red flag didn't last that long, which I thought was okay-ish. The second red flag lasted an awful long time. Now, this red flag came out when Darren Binder went, he crashed, Looks like he bailed off his bike, if you ask me. It looks like maybe it had a technical problem or something similar to that. Not entirely sure, because we didn't see much of a replay of it. But the air fence gets punctured, and it takes a long time to get it back up and running. And so then we got lengthy delays for Moto3 and the sprint. But still, it took quite a while to get it done. But on to this MotoGP race. Moto2 race, apologies. My words are getting all jumbled. It's been a very long day. I'm honestly not quite used to these daytime races because it, I'm just so used to 1am, 2amers not getting much sleep at all and then just powering through, giving myself more time to do this podcast because of the daytime races, I seem to just stumble over my words a little bit more than I normally would. But alas, I digress. Into Moto2. The race was quite entertaining, especially the first few laps. So we did see good battles. Last laps, not so much. On the podium in P3 was First time Moto2 podiumer, Marcos Ramirez. Really great job from him, and he started to fade at the end of the race, and it did look like Ayagura was going to get him. Fortunately for Ramirez, he managed to hold him off, and it was an absolute great result for the American racing team. 
MP2 was Pedro Acosta. We'll talk about him in just a moment, but before I do, I want to talk about Furman Aldegar. All this talk of him possibly going up to MotoGP lit a fire under this guy. My gosh, very, very impressed with him. He just looked in a class of his own this weekend, beating Pedro Acosta, the Pedro Acosta, by seven seconds shows how absolutely talented he is. What I do think is exciting about all these rumours that he may be going up to Moto2 is that we would possibly be able to see this rookie battle. I really love seeing comparing rookies. That's why I think 2019 was such a great year because we got four of them. But I would love to see Furman and Acosta battle it out in MotoGP. One on rumoured a Ducati, because it's now rumoured that Furman Aldegar is going to VR46 and Luca Marini over to Honda. Pretty much everyone's been in line for that Honda though, so I'd take it with a grain of salt. Pedro Acosta on the gas gas, Furman Aldegar on the Ducati. I think we'd be seeing some wonderful battles between the two. Let's talk though about the man who was in P2 this weekend. Incredible, incredible, our new Moto2 world champion, Pedro Acosta. Wonderful ride by him, excellent season by him. He has seriously dominated this season. I am, of course, gutted for Tony Arbolino, but the fact is, this is racing. Only one person's gonna win. And it was going to be Pedro this year. He was just incredible all year. Strong performance after strong performance. Even his bad days weren't too bad. Definitely deserved this championship. I do think we need to talk about after the race, though. This guy should have been shown a medic. Hopefully he's seen one now. But he was vomiting basically throughout his championship presentation. He then could hardly keep his head up while sitting on the podium, and he vomited again on the podium. I get we want to do these championship celebrations straight away, but maybe give them a glass of water, let them sit down for a few minutes before you start doing that. Malaysia's a hot place. He would have been absolutely cooking inside his suit and everything. But either way, the world championship celebration was sensational and really great work for Pedro. Really happy for him. And I thought it was some beautiful celebrations showing his rise through the years, basically, to get where he is now. Very well done, Pedro. Now let's move forward onto the MotoGP racing. So let's start with qualifying because what was that? It was like children misbehaving. Watching it was actually almost cringeworthy. Mark Marquez was trying to get behind Franco Morbidelli absolutely desperately. And in the end, he crashes out behind him, which is just typical, really. It's just, we can't even go to the point in saying that Mark's the only one doing it because he simply isn't. We saw this shot, and if you're watching the video version, I will put some pictures up here. 
There was this shot of all the pilots going down the start-finish straight. Before they crossed that start-finish line, they were all just dawdling, and it was just not particularly entertaining. It was almost cringeworthy and embarrassing. I have to admit, I was not a fan seeing these scenes. This isn't Moto3. Even people in Moto3 sort of seem to behave better than this. I don't know what, but something seriously needs to be done in my opinion. And I'm going to give absolute massive props here to Pekko Bagnaya, because he put on an absolutely stunning lap. He did it all by himself, and he sees all these people dawdling, and rather than get involved in the mess, he just puts his head down and goes and does his lap, and I just found that awesome. And I'm far from Pekko Bagnaya's biggest fan. Like, I don't wish him harm or want anything bad for him at all, by any means. But I do think that it shows the kind of character he is and the fact he's stuck to his guns here. I'm very impressed with his performance. And he ends up doing that and putting it on pole. And so that was really, really impressive. Because Jorge Martin put in a beauty of a lap, then he crashed out. And at this point he was still in P1, so he was probably feeling quite comfortable. But then they cut across and Peko just wow what a lap he is and it was just really incredible and it must have had Martin feeling really really nervous coming into the sprint and the main race because Pecco's ahead of him and that's sort of unfamiliar territory for him lately it hasn't really been the case so we get to the sprint typically with Repsol Honda they didn't make it out of Q1 and then both Joanne Mir and Marc Marquez crashed out of the race. I do believe both rejoined the race and I know Mark finished well down the grid. It was just, yeah, a bit of a shambles for them. Two other notable mentions are Alvaro Bautista and Ike Licuona. So Bautista actually finished behind Mark Marquez who had crashed out of the race. Ike was ahead of him in P20 and yeah, the Honda's P19 was the highest Honda this weekend. It's quite hard as a Honda fan to see them in this position. But alas, here we are. So, on the podium, actually let's start with P6, because absolutely wonderful performance and what an absolutely great weekend. By our P6 in the sprint race, Jack Miller, and he's our Australian. So we want to give him extra props being a Down Under podcast, but just major props to him. In P5 ahead of him was his teammate Brad Binder, and then in P4 another welcome, I don't want to say surprise, but it is a surprise at the moment, given the form he's been in recently. In P4 it was Anaya Vastanini, absolutely great, great performance by the Beast, and I'm really hoping this shows that he is back now because there's been so many rumours about Martin and the Beast having to swap seats next year. If Martin wins the championship, it may have to happen, but we'll just have to wait and see, really. That's all we can do at this stage. MP3, Peko Bagnaya. He didn't convert that pole into a P1. And most importantly for the championship, Jorge Martin is in front of him. So 
coming into the Grand Prix, there's only 11 points in it, and it just helps add that extra excitement, and it really builds up the drama and the tension, and I'm just incredibly, incredibly happy that we are having a championship fight this year. In P1, Alex Marquez. Absolutely great, great result by Alex Marquez. Super happy for him. He was looking strong from the get-go, and I'm very happy he got another sprint. Win, that is. <laughs> Not just another sprint, that would be a bit silly. But yes, uh, overall, it was an enjoyable race. Not overly dramatic or exciting like the week before, but yeah. All of this led to sort of, I guess, some excitement and even more tension coming in to the Grand Prix on Sunday, which provided some thrilling overtakes. And really, that's about all it provided. Let's be realistic here, this was not the race of the season, or even a race that you'd be inclined to remember. It was pretty boring from the get-go, and yeah, overall, I wasn't impressed with it. I don't know what caused it, I don't know if Sepang just normally doesn't bring good racing, bar, you know, that obvious race that we don't really talk about. It just left me feeling a bit flat come Sunday evening, and that was just overall disappointing. We did see some interviews after the race with some very vocal riders, one of them of course being Leisha Spargo, and he did not mince his words. Obviously I'm not in the press room, however I did see Simon Patterson and a few other journalists tweet, basically, that... Alicia was not happy. He was saying, and I'm paraphrasing here, that this tyre pressure rule is killing the sport. On that note, we saw more tyre pressure warnings thrown out like hotcakes. We saw race winner get one. We saw Luca Marini. We saw Ica Lacuona. And most importantly, we saw Peko Magnaia get a front pressure tyre warning. So that means Ducati have played their joker card with both riders. Personally, I think this is a good thing because it puts them on even playing field. It doesn't disprove the idea that we may see this world championship decided by a three-second time penalty at Valencia, which, as I said last week, it'll leave a very sour taste in my mouth. It's only going to be something that we can wait and see, I'll be waiting, and I'll be watching. With Qatar being a night race, I don't know if these tyre pressures are going to be a big component or a component at all in it, but yeah, we just have to wait and see. Keeping on this topic though, the amount of tyre pressure warnings we've seen. So, riders with tyre pressure warnings so far, Peko Bagnaya, Luca Marini, Maverick Vinales, I'm going to butcher this, I do apologise, Altrivo Bautista, the wild card, he got a warning in this race as well, Franco Morbidelli has a warning, Enea Bastanini has a warning, Raul Fernandez, Danny Pedrosa, Alicia Spargo has a warning and a penalty, 
Paula Spargo, Mark Ebizeki, Jorge Martin, and Mark Marquez. That is a shocking number of riders on the grid that have warnings now. Absolutely shocking number. But we'll just, yeah. I went into tyre pressures deep dove, well, light deep dove last week. Go check that pod out to me rant about how much I dislike this rule and how it seems like a bit of a cop-out from Michelin, which does seem a bit harsh for me to say, but it's just my feelings on it. But back to the race. It was boring. We saw some overtakes at the start and we got a really good few lap battle between Jorge Martin and Peko Bagnaya. And considering they're the championship contenders, it was a wonderful battle to see. Peko was aggressive. It's not like Peko to be that aggressive. And I think it's wonderful to see him truly push and rubbing his racing and good to see that especially against Jorge Martin who wouldn't you know complain at any of the moves that were pulled this weekend by Peko. Overall that was a really good battle. We also saw an absolutely wonderful battle for P5 so getting into the results in P5 was Fabio Quattararo. We saw some great moves from him on Marco Bezzecchi but overall the Yamaha rider put in a wonderful performance and deserved that P5. Really, really great race from him. All the props to him. We know he's overriding that bike like nobody's business. I know they were hoping for a podium this weekend. I think they're still going to be pretty happy with that P5 performance. In P4, we saw Jorge Martin. So obviously this has some serious championship drama and I'll go into the championship standings after this. Because in P3, we had Peko Vagnaya, who clawed back championship points. He lost some the day before. He got them back today. So, good work, Peko. In P2, we had the P1 from yesterday, Alex Marquez. Really great performance. He looked strong all weekend. Honestly, I'm surprised he didn't win this race. But there is absolutely no way he would have won when the person in P1 put on a performance that was beautiful. Strong from the get-go, led from the get-go, didn't put a foot wrong. It is so, so good and it's even sweeter because it was Anaya Bastanini. The Beast is back and what a way to come back. With all this talk about him possibly losing his seat for next year, the fact that he comes out so strong, such a great guy for this to happen to. Gutted his year's been marred by injury and you do have to wonder what his year would look like if Luca Marini hadn't taken him out in round one. Just really happy for him and you can't not like Anaya. He's just so smiley and so happy. In the Discord group, it was so wholesome when Barris joined. Barris is a huge Anaya fan, part of the Anaya fan club, and it's just wholesome when we get to see some good results from these riders that have had such tough years. On to the championship. As it stands, it is now officially a two-horse race. So it is now only between Peko Bagnaya and Jorge Martin, Redbinder's fully out. He's been out for a while. He's down on 254 points, 
Marco Bezzecchi, he's on 323 points, so he's now mathematically out of contention as well. Jorge Martin's sitting on 398 points, and Peko Bagnaia on 412 points. So there's only 14 points into this. We came into this weekend 13 points into it. Peko only managed to increase his advantage by one point because Jorge was so good in the sprint. And, well, Peko did what he needed to do on the Sunday. It's all looking forward to a thrilling championship battle at Valencia. I'm just ridiculously excited. Even if this race is a bit subpar, I'm hoping for some better racing in the weekends to come. Looking ahead to Qatar, I have to admit, I really, really enjoy these night races, purely because there's something about them with the floodlights, it just creates an entirely different atmosphere. And one thing I do want to see, but also don't want to see, is the battle between Pekka and Martine. Last year at Qatar, they came together, so Pekko and Martin were racing, they were battling. Pekko lost the front, I believe, from memory. I'll try and throw the clip on screen if you're watching in video format. He wipes out Jorge Martin. Wow. Imagine if that happens this year. Imagine the championship implications and the absolute scandal if one of these championship riders takes out the other championship riders. So we got those awesome scenes last year. I say awesome because the riders were okay, but also because while Martin was crashing, we got some really wonderful shots of the sparks that we very rarely get in MotoGP because we do have so many daytime races. The sparks just on the bikes, over the riders, I think it makes for some excellent photography and I'm really, really excited to see the photos that come out from this week. You can see a lot of excitement occurring. It just gets a lot of nice vibes, basically. Maybe that's just me and maybe that's just the way I feel about it. But alas, Moto3 predictions, I think we're going to see a Yuma Sasaki MP3, Danny Hogado MP2, and Jamie Massier in P1. I don't know how likely that is to happen given the results of those three previously here, but I know it's what I want to happen. And because this is my podcast, I can just make it up as I go along. So those are my predictions for Moto3. Over at Moto2, I think we're going to see Tony Arbolino P3, Pedro Acosta P2, and Furman Aldegar P1. I think Furman's found some form with all this chitter-chatter as well of possible MotoGP moves, whether it be Repsol Honda, whether it be VR46. I think it's just giving him this extra motivation and these extra vibes that I feel he's going to click with a bit more. And whether I want him in MotoGP or not, it doesn't really matter. I think he's just gonna be chugging along nicely next year no matter if he's in GP or stays in Moto2. Either way I really hope he does well because he's so so young. He's only 18 years old and he's showing such such talent. On to the MotoGP sprint race in P3 I think we're gonna see Maverick Vinales. Not quite sure why I picked that one to be honest it just came out of my mouth. 
MP2, I think we're going to see Marco Bezzecchi. And MP1, I think we're going to see Peko Bagnaia. I think Martin's going to be like, nah, no podium for me today. Let's keep this championship spicy. But anyway, in the main race, I think it's all going to change. I think we're going to see Luca Marini P3, Maverick Vinales P2, and Jorge Martin P1. Maybe it's my hopium, but I'm absolutely loving, loving, loving this championship battle. But anyway, that's it for this week's pod. I would be so keen to hear your predictions, so feel free to flick me a message. We would really appreciate any likes or subscriptions, no matter where you get your podcasts. And I will be back next week to recap the Qatar Grand Prix.